Jesus that is the most propagated version, which is yeah. the peace-loving, like, you just got to love everybody, Jesus, not the one that's flipping tables in the temple and riling up the Pharisees. Yeah. And, like, that's not the version that gets depicted super often, right? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast that focuses on coaching you in the growth of your faith. Our world is struggling to find peace in the midst of all this chaos, direction in the midst of all this aimlessness, and purpose in the midst of no meaning. We are challenging everyone to take time to think about the point and purpose of your life. Then you will know what you believe and why you believe it. This leads to a stronger faith, and this is how you find peace, hope, and love in this world. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. <laughs> <laughs> Love the radio voice intro. It's awesome. Hey, everybody. It's so good to have you today. We are starting this brand new series, and we've got a lot of really interesting things. We're going to talk a lot about current events today. So I hope that you kind of buckle the old mental seatbelt because we're about ready to rock and roll. Absolutely. The focus of the Salty Pastor over the next four weeks is going to be on the war that is going on in the spiritual realm between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan and, and the implications that has for us here on earth. There's a war being waged. It's real. It's happening. And we see the implications of the spiritual battle happening every day here on earth. Our goal is to help you understand what is going on and why it is happening and what you can do about it. Yeah. On Tuesday, we studied kind of the Bible and discovered that there's actually a spiritual battle going on. It's not simply a uh, figure of speech. And so you can listen to the biblical principles that we really dug into in episode 345, which is the one that dropped on Tuesday of this week. So uh, the basic principles we dug up were there is a battle. It's real. Mm. And it's not just, you know, hyperbole. Number two, this battle in the spiritual realm also impacts your life here on earth. There's kind of some crossover. Uh, what you do, the decisions you make, the life you live, uh, the spiritual growth that you attain, the maturity you have, all have an impact on this spiritual battle and how much this battle affects you, whether negatively or positively, and what your role is in it. So that's really interesting that even though a lot of this battle is happening in the spiritual realm, it does impact us each and every day. And so how I live and my level of maturity and wisdom, it really determines how much that battle impacts me. And it's kind of based on a really unique and interesting paradox that comes from Jesus. And so in the New Testament, it states that this spiritual battle is happening in the heavenly realms and we're affected by it. Therefore, the teaching from Jesus uh, focuses on what you as an individual can do to be prepared for this spiritual warfare, right? So what do I do as an individual in that regard? But on the other hand, there are times when the battle just spills over on a massive scale, right? Just in a massive way. And then all humanity is captured up in this evil, either participating it or opposing it. Okay, and what's fascinating is is that as time has gone by, historically, battles have become larger and encompassing more geographical region. Right, early on, many many battles, like with the Roman Empire, they had one legion and they would march that legion around and 
fight these battles. And then you had the second Holy Roman Empire under Charlemagne. And he had one giant army that he would go around and, and do stuff like that, where you just keep going forward and forward and forward. Mm. And, and now battles and battlefields have been supplanted by oceans and continents. And so World War II was a perfect example of this. I mean, it was literally fought across the globe. It was right. fought in the Pacific. It was fought from, you know, northern Australia all the way up, you know, uh, into northern Africa and all the way up through Europe. So, and then, of course, all the way into Russia. So it was a massive, massive battle that included the globe. So the point here is that on occasion what happens is a spiritual battle takes root in the physical world and each year as time goes by it seems like they are becoming larger and larger geographically, okay? And so what happens is when humanity is caught up in this evil you you start to see on a grand scale, how devastating evil, if left unchecked, can be. perfect example of this is the rise of the Third Reich under Adolf Hitler or uh, Lenin and the Bolshevik Revolution or Mao Zedong and the Cultural Revolution in China. You know, we could list a few more, but these are the major ones in the 20th century. And so these were massive movements that encapsulated in many ways evil. You know, they did really evil things. Yeah. And so uh, we could go through more, but these major ones were not just political ideologies that were flawed. See, that's, that's the point I want to make. They're not political ideologies that were flawed, like, oh, well, that's just not a good form of government. It's not effective. Actually, these were regimes that perpetuated evil on a grand scale and most people are not aware that these political regimes were built on a set of ideas they had an ideological framework in which they instituted all of their policies and ended up doing what they did and so then the question becomes where did the ideas come from where, why it for instance the nazi regime had a eugenics program right now you may not be familiar with uh, a eugenics program. But eugenics is basically built on Darwinian evolution that says, based on the survival of the fittest, that what you want to do is, the, you know, in, in the survival of the fittest, and evolution is that the strongest tendency or the strongest genetic mutation always wins out. So that made perfect sense to a lot of people in the late 1800s, and that is, well, then let's start impacting the gene pool through eugenics, and that was controlling birth and death. That is, we'll kill off undesirables and we'll increase uh, the birth rate for desirables and then we'll decrease the birth rate for undesirables. So if that's the case, then what you have to realize is that it makes absolutely perfect sense uh, to start getting rid of gypsies and Romanians and then ultimately Jews. Let us not forget the history of this. The Nazis exterminated over 13 million people in concentration camps. Only 6 million of them were Jews. Mm. Now, that's terrible that's that 6 still, million were that Jews. still a tragedy. But there's 7 other million people that were wiped out because of their eugenics mm. program. 
So what that tells me is that it was much more evil than we could ever imagine. It wasn't just anti-Semitism, but it was it was a tremendous evil, and it came from a change in the definition of what it means to be a human being. It changed from a Christian worldview, right, that people are created in the image of God and they have individual sovereignty and value simply because they have the image of God in them, that they're sentient human beings, to, well... Their, their, their life has no value, only the gene pool and what we want to do with it. Uh, many people don't realize this, this may shock people, is that America had a eugenics program in the early 1900s. Mm. A lot of people don't know that. That would be news to me. Yeah. What are you, what well, are you talking about? <laughs> in many different ways, eugenics was kind of popular, and one of the greatest advocates of this advocated for uh, establishing birth control. And the main reason for this was they, she believed that feeble-minded ethnic minorities needed to be curtailed and then ultimately eliminated. And then because she believed that ethnic minorities and ethnic feeble-minded groups propagated poverty and disease and so the goal was we need to wipe these out right and so what she did is she she basically tried to uh use family planning as a way to do this her name was margaret sanger and she is the founder of planned parenthood Mm. and so the primary motivation behind everything she did where did her ideas come from well her ideas came are rooted in eugenics and ethnic racism and this is well documented, but you will not hear that ever taught on the left in America or those who are for abortion. They just they like the the basic policy, but they refuse to acknowledge where the policy came from. Yeah, I mean, I think what I'm starting to hear you say is like these spiritual battles that we're not even always aware are happening do have points where they tip into our world and they can propagate things like it could be something like a one-on-one someone hating someone else, or it could transform into something like the world war or into these eugenics programs or things of that nature where the, the enemy is basically taking ground in certain ways. Yes. Taking ground. And that's how we have to kind of think about it is it's taking ground. It's not necessarily those people are, you know, this one particular person who was caught up in it is blank and blank. It's mm-hmm. we're thinking big spiritual warfare things of the enemy is taking ground through people, through ideas, through revolutions or changes that yeah. are pro- propagating evil things. And so we have to really start thinking about not just on our individual spiritual battles of, you know, I'm having a bad day. I need to be working through it. How is the enemy attacking me? Things of that nature, but just yeah. corporately like we as Christians as a church should be looking because I mean the the ideas that were propagated by the Nazis were not something that just showed up one day, right? Correct. Like there was long processes that were instituted yeah. slowly that if people spoke up, it wasn't it didn't happen loud enough and strong enough to stop it. Does yeah. that make sense? And yeah. so well and Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a perfect example of what you're talking about. He was because you know who went along with Nazism was the Lutheran Church. Right. They went along with it full bore. Yeah. And so we have to not only think about the spiritual battle that's happening around us individually, but on a much larger scale, what's the spiritual battle that's influencing nations, regimes, things of Mm -hmm. that nature that we need to be 
fighting against as a corporate body of Christians, right? Yeah, even though the battle happens within, you know, the spiritual battle generally happens within my heart and my soul and my mind, right? And I'm invited to be a part of the kingdom of God as an individual, right? I have individual sovereignty and God has saved me, you know, as an individual. But there are times when the people of God must all bond together and fight as an army, you know, yeah. and there is a big battle up there and it is happening and we're called to be a part of it. Well, and it seems to me like unity is super critical when it comes to these kind of global spiritual battles. We need to be united as believers all across the world in these spiritual battles, not just even at a church level, like a small C church level, right. but the big C church level, we have to be united. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's really interesting is in American history, when they came together to fight in World War II, is that you had so many different denominations, right? And you even had young men who weren't strong believers, per se, or part of a church or religious. But the one thing that they all had in common is they had a Judeo-Christian worldview. So even if they didn't believe in God, they still had those core values. But today, that doesn't exist. So that's why I think it's so important for us to do the Salty Pastor so that we can talk about the ideas and the principles and core values on which these ideologies are based that create these evil outcomes. And that's what we try to do is help us understand the difference between those things that... um you know, bind us together as one and those things that divide people and create permission for evil to grow. Uh, I, I do like, for instance, let me tell a couple of stories. When I was growing up in the 70s, there were two prominent stories about uh, the Nazi regime in World War II. The focus wasn't so much on the, at that time of the battles that were fought, but it was on what they had done to the Jewish people and to other people in the concentration camps. That was really a big deal in the seventies is kind of exploring that. And the two biggest stories that I was exposed to was first of all, Anne Frank, and it's called the diary of Anne Frank, right? She was a young Jewish girl who lived in Amsterdam, right? And she was hiding from the Nazis in an attic. So she was in Amsterdam and they lived in this attic that was hidden. Okay, she was eventually discovered by the Gestapo and she was sent to a concentration camp with her si with her sister. And while they were there, they got typhus and they died within one day of each other. She died in March of 1945. And do you know when V.E. Day was? It was May 8th. Mm. So she died about seven weeks before the Germans surrendered unconditionally. Yeah. So that just goes to show you how horribly sad that was one of her most famous quotes was this uh and it's on the Anne frank memorial in downtown boise it says despite everything i believe that people are really good at heart mm. now there was a second uh story out there called the hiding place by cory tenboom now cory tenboom was a christian and she wasn't jewish right but she came from a uh, kind of a, a little stream of the dutch reformed church that had uh, eschatology, meaning a study of the end times, that focused a lot on the Old Testament and believed that Jews were God's chosen people. Mm -hmm. And so, they, so what she did is she and her sister and her father built a false wall in their house in the Netherlands, and then they would hide people 
there. And what's interesting is it was less than uh, it was two buildings down. And if you ever been to the to the Netherlands and to Amsterdam, you look at all these really really old hundred year old homes and stuff. They're all built connected, right? Right. They look like gigantic rows of apartments or townhomes or something. Right. And so. But just two buildings down was the Nazi Gestapo police station. Mm. And so right under their nose, they hid people. And then eventually uh, they were found out and arrested. But none of the people that were hiding in their house behind the false wall were discovered. Mm. Just them. They were arrested and they were taken to a, a prison camp. And she was eventually um, released. And she says, uh, her quotes were, In darkness, God's truth shines most clear. And she said, if you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look to Christ, you will be at rest. So here's what's interesting. We have these two stories. We have one of a young Jewish girl who died at 15 who said, despite everything, I believe that people are really good at heart. And then the second one is the uh, Christian woman, Corey Ten Boom, who is hiding Jewish people. And she said it's, it, the, the people are dark. But it's in this darkness that we see God's truth shining mm. most clearly. Uh, the question is, who's more accurate? I mean, I think Corey's probably the more accurate of we will always be tempted into dark things, right? And mm. so we have to have something that's more stable, more bright, more light-giving than ourselves. Because when left to our own devices, you see what happens, yeah. right? And so we have to, I would say Corey is. And I mean, just to tack onto that, um, we had the Boise Bible College president come preach, oh, I don't know, yeah. over the summer. And, over the summertime, and he yeah. talked about Corey Ten Boom as well. And there's a really great story about how she forgave the Nazi soldiers that yeah. had... Uh, they were so cruel to were her. so cruel to her and her mm -hmm. family. They had killed her sister, I believe. I yes, think. they and killed so her sister, yeah. If you've never read that book and heard her interview, it's yeah. a... a life-altering form of watching forgiveness happen yeah. and so I and you know when her. she did that in 1947 yeah two years, two after, years after she was so yeah. it wasn't like a 20 30 years later she decided exactly. to go through that process it two was years later. two years and so i do highly recommend that but i do think Corey's more accurate i think Anne probably when she said that she probably thinks i mean she was jewish right so she didn't believe in jesus mm -hmm. but i mean there's that spirit within us that other people can see you know christians yeah. show a different form of humanity that we're not prone to and so i think you can look to that and go yeah i do think that there is goodness in people's hearts but it's not them it's christ in them yeah but i i would i would say that Anne frank's statement despite everything i think people are good at heart is a very hopeful statement from a 14 year old girl yeah because what it took is it took a massive mobilization of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Americans and British soldiers and people all across the globe to defeat Nazism. Mm. So what what is it that defeated it? it? It wasn't empty hope. It was guns and boots on the ground in the manufacturing base of the United States of America that was able to fight and win. And so that's what I think Corey Ten Boom brings to it is she was a little older and a little more mature. And that is you have to fight. Right. And she was a part of the Dutch resistance. And so I think the problem is, is that today Christians don't know how to fight. Right. Mm. They're taught if you fight or resist, then you're unloving or unkind. Well, and, you know, we get that that uh, 
soft and caring Jesus that is the most propagated version, which is yeah. the peace loving, like we yeah. just gotta love everybody, Jesus. Not the one that's flipping tables in the temple and riling up the Pharisees yeah. and like that's not the version that gets depicted super often, right? Or even just the fact that one of the greatest greatest iconographies we see is him dying, which is not necessarily seen as strength, right? Like, Correct. well, he died. Yeah. That's a that's a weak statement if you're looking at it from the outside. We know that's actually a statement of strength, right? Like he yes. chose to go there. But when that's all you see, you don't see, you just talked about this in the staff meeting the other day. You're like, I love the Jesus that they talk about in the end times that's coming in on a white horse and <laughs> yeah. flame coming everywhere. Yeah. He's got a sword. Like you warrior Jesus is the one yeah. we should be looking to because he was not, while he did love, he was a warrior, right? Yeah. Like there, And we can't separate the two of those. And I nope. think it's really easy these days with the, most propagated versions of Jesus to only see the soft baby Jesus or this, the, that's right. the one that's just loves everybody because he does love everybody, but he's willing to fight for him, which is why he came in the first place. He didn't and come I to believe just, that it's directly related to the issues of PTSD because after world war two, I mean, it was massive and it was bad, but the levels of PTSD were lower, not because they were undiagnosed, but because a lot of those young men went over there to fight for freedom and they fought for their families. They knew what they were fighting for. And today what our society has done is it's stolen the nobility and honor because the best warriors of all, the greatest warriors are all, are warriors who fight out of love. That's why they fight. Yeah. And that's why our, our servicemen and our first responders are so honorable. I mean, they, they don't experience... I mean, when a when a firefighter runs into a burning building and saves a child, yeah. the the likelihood of them experiencing PTSD over that scenario is probably significantly lower, right? Because they know they're doing a good work. And so there yeah. has to be that thing. But when the world's constantly telling you everything you do is wrong and bad and da 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 da, then yeah, you're yeah. you are. And there's gonna, no moral center. There's nothing noble to fight yeah. for. Nothing honorable to fight for. What, what we're doing is we're stealing from young people meaning and purpose and the capacity to make moral decisions because you cannot fight against these ideologies if you can't discern from right and wrong. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit like you had said we were going to get to current events. Only I've heard so far <laughs> a to... <laughs> reference to past events. So is there kind of some similar ideology? Is there a similar war happening these days that's causing some of the, the travesties we're seeing? Absolutely, 100%. I, I think right now it's really important to understand is that the new fascism out there, you know, similar to, to Nazism, is the Islamic movement. Now, first, I want you to notice I did not say radical Islam because what you're seeing today in the news today, what you're seeing that the terrorist organization Hamas did to Israel, that it attacked Israel, and it went in in its idea of attacking Israel was to attack civilians that were unarmed, uh, to go in and not only kill indiscriminately civilians, but they raped women and girls. They beheaded them, chopped off their parts. They murdered babies and chopped their heads off of babies. And then what's even more shocking to me is that you see now thousands, tens of thousands of people all throughout Western civilization in Paris and in London. But let's look in America, in New York City, in Chicago, these campuses throughout the United States of these groups of 
pro-Palestinian people saying that their actions are justified because they're resisting and the inability for people in Western society to say that is evil. It's nothing but evil. And there, there's no, there is no justification for cutting off the heads of babies. It's absolutely morally corrupt. The problem is, is that the term when people say, well, this is just radical Islam. No, it's not. It is Islam. The term radical gives the impression that the people who are doing these things are a minority in the Islamic world. They're departing from the main idea of Islam, that they're somehow misrepresenting true and authentic Islam. They've departed from the general agreement of what Islam is trying to do. But the truth of the matter is that out of 1.6 billion Muslims in the world today, the mass majority, what, this is what people are telling us, is that, well, out of the 1.6 billion Muslims, the vast majority are peaceful, law-abiding people dedicated to the Western ideals of democracy and respect for human life. But this is not true. It is not the case. It's utterly false. Pew Research shows that over 85% of all Muslims throughout the world, including those who live in the United States of America, believe that anyone who converts away from Islam should be killed. That's not a moderate position. That's not a we believe in diverse and you can make up your own mind what you believe about your faith. That's if you try to unconvert or you convert away from Islam, over 85% believe you should be killed. Why do they believe this? Because that is the penal code in Islam, and that's what it's taught, called Sharia law. They also uh, believe the same thing, that you should be stoned to death if you criticize Islam. The same percentages exist uh, in regards to chopping off the hands for theft, stoning women to death if they've been accused of being unfaithful. All of these things are part of the penal code of Sharia law, and over 80% of all Muslims across the globe, including the United States, want Sharia law to be the law of the land. Now, what's strange is if you point this fact out, it's considered Islamophobic, right? Oh, that you're, you're afraid of Islam. Islam. No, I'm saying that this is not moderate, that it is not peaceful, that what you see happening in the Middle East, what you see Hamas doing, and what you see all of these uh, protesters and students at universities doing is the culmination of the teaching of Islam and Sharia law. When we look back at the gruesome attacks on innocent people in Israel, what we see is them celebrating it. What's amazing to me is that, that Hamas went in and did this, and they recorded what they did. So the evidence that we have for the atrocities they committed didn't come from survivors. It came from the video recordings of the Hamas terrorists and what they did. I mean, that to me is absolutely and unequivocally shocking. I know some journalists that were given uh, the opportunity to witness some of this video that they have from Hamas and that they can't show to the public. And all of the journalists that have seen this said it was the most horrific. And disc I'm not going to sleep and I'm going to have nightmares the rest of my life because it was so horrific. This is the result of an ideology, okay? 
And this ideology has taken root in our universities and in the progressive attitudes of our society because our universities have invited it in, fostered it, and they are now feeding it. A perfect example is in one of the three uh, mainstream media outlets, uh, uh, analyst, reporter, pundit, whatever, by the name of Joy Reese said this in regards to what's happening in Israel and all of the horrific atrocities of Hamas. She said, these, these attacks on Israel from Hamas are the result of a 56-year oper- occupation that will spark and continue to spark a vehement and yes, a violent resistance, whether Hamas exists or not. Now, do you understand what she just said? She said that these people in the Gaza Strip, in Hamas, had a right to commit terrorist acts against civilian people, cut the heads off babies and rape teenage girls and then kill them. They had a right to do this because Israel has occupied their land for 56 years. First and foremost, Joy Reid is a liar because that's just simply not true. They have not occupied their land, and we can debate that if you want, but that's just simply not true. And yet that is what is taught on our university campuses. Now, people are saying, well, why are you bringing this up? Because it's in the news right now. But what most people are not aware is that the attacks on Christians in Nigeria, Uganda, Kenya, all across northern Africa— has been 10 times worse than what's been going on in Israel in the last month. Yet nobody's aware of it. Nobody knows about it. I mention it on occasion about how bad it is, but it's, it's absolutely un- unbelievable. The amount of ethnic cleansing against Christians in northern Africa in the last 30 years has been absolutely unequivocally unprecedented. There was a massive amounts of Christians, uh, ancient Christians, Coptic Christians that used to live that have been pretty much wiped out and destroyed. So the notion of genocide and ethnic cleansing has all been happening under Islamic rulers and Islamic efforts, and it's just continuing unabated. In, in Nigeria right now, the amount of Christian schools, Christian orphanages, Christian uh, hospitals, they have been attacked and people have been kidnapped and murdered mercilessly, thousands of people. And the Nigerian government refuses to do anything about it. And the American people have no idea what's going on. Right now, there are over 100,000 Christian Armenians that are being starved and ethnically cleansed in a genocide by Azerbaijan. Okay? And these are all Muslim Turks, people from Turkey. And it's happening. It's absolutely and unequivocally amazing that's what's going on. But most people in America have no idea idea. What they will tell you is that Israel is the fault. Why am I bringing this up? Because what's happening is the reason all of this craziness is growing in the world and growing here in the West is because of progressive theory in our universities. The idea was that in order for secular humanism to develop, in order for critical social theory from the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory to expand, the number one ideology that stood in its way of doing this was Christianity. What you are witnessing right now is the culmination in our universities here of a 50-year attempt to eradicate the ideology of Christianity in society. And they primarily use sex 
to do that, the sexual revolution, and that is Christians are so prudish about sex and stuff. Well, it's turning out now Gen Z is realizing that the Christian ethic of sex is really probably the best one, right? Because they're sick of seeing what's going on. As a matter of fact, the latest report for Hollywood I found fascinating is that Gen Z says there needs to be less sex and nakedness in movies. Mm. Gen Z is saying this. So it's interesting. But the belief that the human race, especially in the Western democracies, would require an untethering from the Christian roots on which it was built is where all of this is coming from. And so it's very uncomfortable for me to be the truth teller in this regard, to be the little kid who stands on the side of the road and screams the emperor has no clothes, but it must be done. Universities effectively ethnically cleansed ideologically cleanse the Christian worldview from its vaulted halls. And since the 60s, the universities have conducted an ideological genocide. They have attacked, destroyed anyone that disagrees with them. And the number one group that they have attacked over the last 40 years is Christians. The fact that people doubt this and are unaware of this proves the collusion of the media, government bureaucrats who are overwhelmingly The bureaucrats, not the elected officials, but the bureaucrats are overwhelming leftists and progressives and academia. That collusion has got us to where we are today. And what you are seeing happening today with student groups and professors, all from our major universities that are are justifying what happened in Israel, the rape of women and the murder of babies and the murder of innocent civilians, is all based on the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. When our media and government officials, most importantly Department of Justice, gave permission and license to BLM to burn down businesses and riot, even in the midst of COVID, it all comes from the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. You couldn't have church service and we will fine you hundreds of thousands of dollars for that. But the liquor stores will be open, the casinos will be open, and political left-wing protests and communist ideology is fine. People don't see the incongruence there? You should. After Roe v. Wade was overturned, there were over 600 acts of violence and vandalism against churches and crisis pregnancy centers. Not a single person has been prosecuted by our Department of Justice. Not one. In the battle um, against evil, we don't have to hate the people who have said we are their enemies, but we most clearly and certainly should be sheepdogs. We should stand in the way when these evil people attempt to destroy the lives of others. The current presidential administration is screaming about Islamophobia to us right now. What in the world are they talking about? Where is this so-called Islamophobia in America? It isn't anywhere. It doesn't exist. While at the same time, at uh, a university in New York, they were locking Jewish students in a library from rampaging mobs led by university professors screaming that they should be eliminated. And then the irony of all ironies, they suggest that these Jewish students hide in the attic in order to be safe. That's what Anne Frank did. My friends, you are the salty crew, and I believe now is a time for people to wake up. There's a battle. There's a battle that will be fought, and our choice is whether where, where we will be standing when it rages. And I hope that we stand not only on the side that says there is evil and there is good. Let us pursue righteousness at all costs. And so how we fight, where we fight, and all the nature of our fighting is constrained by our convictions. 
but make no bones about it. We should be people of strength and power. And we should stop talking about the the fluffy Jesus with sheep and start talking about the Jesus of judgment and righteousness in the book of Revelation. Absolutely. Well, I would encourage each and every one of you, Pastor Doug got salty today, um, but do not just take his word for it. You need to be going and doing this research and looking at these things that he has talked about because ultimately you saying, oh, I heard it on a podcast does not cut the mustard anymore. There's plenty of other people out there doing the exact same thing and that's not worth doing. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. And the only way you do that is by going and doing the research yourself. So he's brought these points forward for you. You need to go do the research so that you understand what you believe and why you believe it so that you do know where you stand in the battle for righteousness Mm -hmm. and how so thank you guys so much for joining us we absolutely love having you here we are in a spicy series and i'm excited (laughs) i would have thought the women's series would have been spicy but you came out hard on this one pastor he was ready and we are ready to fight the good fight so thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you next week here on the salty pastor podcast blessings